0: Hello there, beautiful and amazing fertility friends. It's Talia here over at the Fertility Underground Podcast. And we are stepping into another Reddit post. I just I don't know. It's just my favorite thing to do. I just love going in and uh I, I hope it doesn't sound weird. I just love going in there and being able to really see what people are struggling with and then be able to give them some insight and maybe a new perspective, maybe reassurance support. It may just be like, hey, I'm sending a prayer your way. I'm thinking about you. It could be something very detailed. Um, And I just really hope that this just offers people, like I said, a new perspective, new insights, some answers and all that. So let's just dive right in. This was posted in the TTC After Loss community. And this person was saying, I'm just going to go ahead and read her post. She said, Um, that she miscarried her first pregnancy naturally last month at eight weeks, though baby only measured closer to six weeks. I had low progesterone, 8.4, when I was around five weeks, so took oral supplement from that point on for the three remaining weeks. But of course, it didn't lead to viable pregnancy. In asking my OB what options I have to help prevent a future miscarriage due to low progesterone, she said, just because my levels were low in this pregnancy does not mean they will be low in a future pregnancy. Has this been true for anyone? She suggested I closely monitor to find out I'm pregnant even earlier and I can then get on progesterone two to three weeks earlier. I asked about getting on the supplement once we start trying to conceive again, and she said, no, not recommended because it affects dating. She said, irregular periods, ovulation, I'll get to that. For those who suspected or determined low progesterone led to their miscarriage, what has been your experience and your OB's proposed solution? Oh, and by the way, she said that her HDG is now almost back down to zero, wants to try again later this month, and she's 37, no time to waste, and she's looking into a second professional opinion, but has wisely actually reached out to the community, and obviously, you may get some uh, answers that are maybe more on track and others that are not, but I mean, you can't can't get much worse than what's going on so there's a lot to unpack in this I'm just I haven't even prepared I just really want to walk through this as if I were on the phone with somebody walking through this and then actually want to go through some of the comments on here too so my first responses are that um, here she had a pregnancy uh, she went eight weeks but baby stopped growing at six weeks And she had a low progesterone around five weeks. So there's a lot to understand here. First of all, we're going to kind of focus specifically on this idea of low progesterone um, or this finding of low progesterone. And this very well could contribute to pregnancy loss um, specifically in this case or in other cases. Uh, Then I want to kind of step outside of the low progesterone box because I think sometimes when we find something like this or when a doctor finds something or if you're going through infertility and you kind of can latch on to one specific thing. As um, I know in the back of your mind, you think, Okay, I'm sure there are multiple things happening, but if we have something like this, we can kind of become obsessed and super hyper-focused on it, and not that that's a bad deal um, or a bad decision or anything like that, but I want to step outside of the low progesterone box and talk about what other things could be at play. Specifically, I mean, I've never talked to this um, lovely woman. I'm only reading what is in her post and her responses to some of the other people. So as far as the low progesterone, and you know what, let's go ahead and read... Um, some of these other responses. So, one of the girls was saying that she has a 10 day luteal phase. So, just before she even started getting pregnant, she knew that progesterone was going to be an issue. And she just had a feeling something was going to be a problem. And so, she went and got her levels tested. And they said, No, you know, you were 11.6. We only supplement under 10. And she really wished she pushed for it. Long story short, she had a miscarriage. And so, she dug into the research and, and so on and so forth. Um, so, I don't know with this original person who posted if, you know, other things about her cycle, but obviously progesterone early on in pregnancy is absolutely crucial to do a lot of things, actually a lot more things than most doctors even understand. So let's back up and talk a little bit about early on where this progesterone is coming from. So after, when your egg is developing, it's developing inside a follicle. And depending on where you're on or where you're at in your cycle, you have this egg, this oocyte, surrounded at least by one layer of cells. In the beginning, it's the granulosa cells. Those end up growing and, and differentiating and developing. And then you also get these theca cells. And so um, those work in this combination in this beautiful team together. Um, they communicate back and forth. They help the egg grow. They support it. They tell the egg what to do. All these different things. And then after you ovulate, this whole thing kind of ruptures open like a pimple. Horrible, that's literally the one thing that came to my mind right then. But basically these uh, cells, the granulosa cells and the thinca cells are left over and they kind of morph into what's called the corpus luteum. You can see that on ultrasound, you can see it in the ovary, you can know exactly kind of what side of the, what ovary you ovulated from and all those different things. And the main purpose of the corpus luteum is to make progesterone to prepare the uterus for pregnancy. And to maintain some changes as that embryo implants and as the placenta develops so that at a certain point, there's like a a passing of the baton and the placenta will begin to make the progesterone and that will be the source of it from there on out. So corpus luteum, very important. This person who responded to her said that her corpus or her luteal phase was 10 days. It was a shortened luteal phase. So um, if you have a short luteal phase, which is anything less than 12 to 14 days, or if you have spotting before your period, that could be an indicator of a shortened luteal phase. Now, many people think that it's simply a matter of progesterone production. But what I want to include in here is that in order for progesterone to do its thing, it needs to be able to communicate with the downstream actions. So oftentimes with hormones, people use an analogy of a lock and a key. In this case, progesterone is a key it goes to its progesterone receptor, the lock, it opens it up, and then a chain of events happen. In the case of um, preparing for pregnancy, you can start to get increased blood flow to the endometrium. The endometrium will begin to thicken. You also get changes in the immune system and inflammation and certain things within the endometrium. And this is very important because the endometrium needs to be very welcoming to this embryo that's coming on along. So you get immune system changes, all these different things. In some cases, you may there may be issues with this corpus luteum, where it doesn't make enough progesterone. It just doesn't. Now, a good question to ask would be why. So you can supplement progesterone. And then I will get to the point of this, which is I see in very few circumstances, why you wouldn't supplement it, but I do think it's important to figure out why. I think that the risks associated with supplementing progesterone during the luteal phase are slim to none. Uh, progesterone is an, a, a beautiful hormone. Of course, you can with anything; there could be too much of a good thing. But it's very anti-inflammatory. I think that, particularly if you have signs of of low progesterone, I don't see a big risk there. That being said. And by the way, we'll get down to later about how you can do this on your own without getting official approval from your elite and uh, dictator OBGYN or reproductive endocrinologist. And this actually gets mentioned in the bottom of this post, but The other thing to consider is you may actually even have enough progesterone, but that the progesterone is unable to do its job. One thing that's notorious for causing this is endometriosis. So endometriosis obviously is when um, these cells normally in the endometrium go out of the inside of the uterus and they actually morph. They go, I call it go rogue. They change their behaviors and how they act and all these different things. And they invade and implant in the pelvis on the ovaries, all these different things. But you can still have changes associated with endometriosis in the lining of the uterus, in the endometrium. It can actually become resistant to progesterone. So sometimes progesterone supplementation in and of itself is not always the end-all be-all answer. This is why, you know, a lot of doctors, um, once you get to the reproductive endocrinology stage of things, maybe you're seeing a infertility specialist, they almost always will tell you to do some form of progesterone. Now they usually say progesterone in oil. I'm actually not a fan. I could do a podcast episode on that if you're interested. Uh, I don't think you need to go through that kind of torture to get the benefits of the progesterone. But um, they are, at that point, typically believe in supporting progesterone. They don't see a lot of risk there. The problem is that you could get all the progesterone in the world. I mean, you could be in the ideal, you could be in progesterone utopia. And if it is not able to do its thing, then it will not work. And you will get the symptoms of low progesterone or the consequences of low progesterone, which could be implantation failure. It could be miscarriage. Um, it could be poor um, development of the placenta, things like that. So that's something that doctors don't really grasp is that it's not just about the amount of progesterone. It's about why is it low and also could there be progesterone resistance? So for example, you could have a shortened luteal phase, but why is that? Why is that corpus luteum unable to maintain itself and its production of progesterone For a long enough period of time. Why is that happening? I think this is a very important uh, question to ask because then you can begin to determine what's really the deeper problem. If it is something like uh, those granulosa cells or those theca cells, those could have been damaged by things. They could be um, harmed or damaged and now they are unable to kind of fulfill their life's purpose or their role. Um, It could be an association with endometriosis. It could be something like that. And then those things all actually impact egg quality, um, not just those other cells. So it really kind of is this trickle-down effect where you finally get to the bigger issues. And if you can really address the bigger issues, then these other issues that look like the big issues right now start falling into place. The other thing about checking progesterone, I will say, is, and I've talked about this a bit before with checking a luteal phase progesterone. Not only obviously do People ovulate at different times, and you have to be really, really confident about knowing when you're ovulating to know when to check a luteal phase blood progesterone level. But checking progesterone levels at any time can be a bit of a challenge because those levels actually do fluctuate. They could still be normal but fluctuate greatly within a very short period of time. So that's something to consider. But even in this case, I mean, if you have a progesterone level and you're early on in pregnancy and... I mean, an 8.4 to me is just not adequate. I see no reason why you would want to wait until you have a positive pregnancy test because at that point you may already have the degradation or the breakdown of the corpus luteum. It's already breaking down in what's the changes that needed to have happened inside of the uterus and the endometrium and all these different things are already going to not have kind of occurred in the right time frame. So I completely disagree with this. I would get on the progesterone if this is something that you decided was going to be beneficial to you. I would be doing it in the luteal phase. people think that, oh, this is going to jack up so she her doctor said it's going to cause affect dating um or which is she refers to as irregular periods and ovulation that is such bs okay first of all you can even use progesterone before you ovulate and you'll likely still ovulate second of all if you're using it in the luteal phase by definition that is after ovulation um and it's, if you're having irregular periods or issues with ovulation, you already have hormonal imbalances anyway. So if anything, that progesterone is likely going to help you regulate that. And and here's the thing, you know, there are things you can do definitely, like like I'm going to read in, in a minute here of um, one of the other people who commented on this and said, hey, you know, I got over-the-counter progesterone. So there are a lot of things you can do on your own. And and progesterone, I believe, in that luteal phase is very forgiving. Um, as long as you're not getting crazy with it, it I think it's going to be very forgiving. I, I really think that the likelihood of it being detrimental to you is very low. Again, you can get too much of a good thing, um, but I think if you start low and slow, that likelihood is going to be very low. So I would not wait. Um, if you look at a reproductive endocrinologist or an infertility specialist, although I often disagree with what they do, they always do progesterone immediately following whatever they're doing, whether it be, you know. A transfer, IUI, or something like that. It's not; they don't wait to start it until you have a positive pregnancy test. Um, too little, too late. So I think that is this girl is on the right track. Um, personally, I think finding a second opinion is not even a negotiable. I would. Th- this is such a basic thing in the field of reproduction that if if this person, if this is what they're thinking, they're out the door in my book. That's just my personal opinion. I know it's not always that easy. I know you may have, um, you know, insurance restrictions and I, and it just sucks. I'm sorry that that's the case, but I just think that, you know, I think that I'd kick this person to the curb. This is not a complex topic and they really don't know what they're talking about. So we talked about this other person. Um, she got her progesterone off Amazon. So you can do that if, and here's the thing, if you, If you can't find a provider who's going to work with you and you need to take it into your own hands, I think that would probably be potentially the way to go. Um, Another suggestion that I sometimes will make to people is if you live in an area that has a compounding pharmacy, you can call that compounding pharmacy and say, hey, do you have providers that prescribe progesterone for, you know, luteal phase support or whatever. and Ask them if they could give a a list of people who do that and if they also specialize in helping women with fertility. In that case, um, they are already going to be open to this idea of using a bioidentical progesterone. Typically, this this does not need to be vaginal at this point. You could do just a creamy rub into your wrists or other parts of your body. Doesn't have to be hard or anything like that. So that's another resource. Um, The ones over the counter. The one nice thing is, I think it'd be hard to do too much of it because they're a lower level. Uh, And um, I think the the only down, I'd say, downside to that is you don't always know exactly all the things that are going to be in that. So there might be preservatives that I'm not a huge fan on. But you know, you have to weigh the pros and the cons of that. But I do think that that is an option for people is to do that to kind of just take a little bit of control over this. So I wanted to move past into some of these comments. Um, And then she said, so these people are talking a little bit about these shortened voodoo phase. They talked a little bit about cycle day uh, of ovulation and both are saying that they ovulate around like day 20, 21, which can be very common, which is why I really believe in having reliable ways to predict and confirm ovulation. And then I did want to address another person in here. There's a couple. One woman said she had two miscarriages this past year, one at six weeks and one at 11 weeks. Um, And so she finally is getting progesterone to use in this next cycle. But again, this, and let me read one more. Um, again, one of the things that progesterone could indicate, and, and they kind of bring this up, if the progesterone levels are low early in pregnancy, it could be a sign in and of itself that there's an issue with the pregnancy. But I would definitely start with what could be happening early on, earlier on in this, in this um, kind of timeline of events. Because if there's an issue with the pregnancy, it's likely coming from something like egg quality or you know maternal tolerance or things like that. So it really does go back to kind of our basic tenets of, of what contributes to fertility. So I did want one other person in here who said that she had an ultrasound. Let's see here really quick. One other person said that they had a ultrasound done and that she had a great heart rate and then at six weeks or seven weeks and then she had a um, went in for a later ultrasound at like eight or nine weeks or ten weeks and there was uh, the baby had not made it and there was no heartbeat. And that is, by the way, I don't want to go too much on a tangent here, but if you are seeing a normally progressing pregnancy and then there's a heart rate and then you the baby, the pregnancy is lost. This can be an indicator that that pregnancy was actually a normal, genetically normal pregnancy. And that to me is a big, big sign that something else could be going on potentially with the immune system or with the quality of of eggs and things like that, which is actually a good segue into my final, my second half of this, which is, and let me just make sure that we are not, okay, we got 10 minutes because you know I'm a talker, people. You know, I like to talk. My segue into the second half of this discussion, which is yes, we've discussed how important progesterone is, how important it is to have an adequate amount of progesterone. And then, even more importantly, because this is a harder thing to manage, is to make sure that it can do its thing, that it can cause its actions down the road, right? That it can actually do what it needs to do. But let's jump off to the second point. And so I don't want low progesterone to be, again, that sticking point that you become just completely focused on. And then we stop looking at the other things. I think it can act as a red herring and it can distract you. This happens all the time. And I'm not saying this in a bad way, particularly to you as the woman, because it's not, excuse me, it's not like you went through school and you got, you know, educated on all these things in fertility school, right? But specifically with providers, um, they will really latch on to these obvious answers or obvious quote-unquote problems to be fixed and then completely disregard a bunch of other things that could be happening. So in this case, this person is 37 years old um, and in the case of that, you know, age, but also just any miscarriage, we have to think about largely about egg quality, about sperm quality and about the environment in the uterus. Now we talked a little bit about the environment in the uterus when we we're talking about progesterone resistance. Um, so many things can lead to miscarriage. I'm sure we'll talking about this a lot. There are things that doctors are comfortable with associating with miscarriage. So they might think of blood clotting um, or maybe even um, some genetic issues. Um, whether that's being something inherited by the baby or something mom or dad has, uh, they may think of chromosome issues. And of course these all can contribute to miscarriages, but, you know, let's not put the cart ahead of the horse. What could be before that in a lot of these cases? So in this case, um, I would definitely be looking into egg quality at 37 years old, your eggs have been exposed to a lot of things over time, and that could be impacting egg quality. There are a lot of components to this. Um, it can be DNA damage. It can be the mitochondria in the cell, which are the energy makers of the cell. Um, it could be waste that accumulates in the cells. So think about this. Some of the eggs that we could potentially ovulate have been around for, in this case, 37, 38 years they are living, breathing, active cells, Uh, much like a human being. They use energy, they use um, nutrients, and they also make waste. Uh, And waste can accumulate, particularly in certain situations. So that can impact egg quality. Um, The biggest things I would think about here would likely be mitochondria damage. So these little energy powerhouses of the cell are incredibly important for egg quality, incredibly, incredibly important. And not just for egg quality because, you know, as your eggs are developing and as you're getting ready to ovulate and as that egg becomes, um, is fertilized and now that genetic material kind of combines with the male genetic material, there's a lot happening with DNA. There's chromosomes being pulled apart, all these different things takes incredible amounts of energy. So much so that ovarian follicles, that eggs, have more of these energy producers, these mitochondria, than any other cell in the body. And they ramp it up even more at certain parts of the cycle. So if you do not, if you're unable to make enough energy, you can get issues with chromosomes. You can get issues with your ability to make machinery that does all this stuff. You maybe aren't as good at eliminating waste. And then let's say you still have a pretty good egg and you get fertilized. That energy source, those mitochondria that the egg brings with it, those are actually going to make the energy for the early embryo. And the embryo, think about this. This embryo goes from one cell and divides rapidly. I mean, insa- I mean, you go from two cells joining at six weeks, you have a baby with a heartbeat. I mean, that's insanity how much is happening. All this differentiation, which means cells becoming different things and, and cells dividing, growing. I mean, it, it it takes an incredible amount of energy. And all during that, that embryo is trying to make sure it keeps every, every cell, every time it divides, it wants to make sure that that cell has the normal chromosomes. So actually those energy uh, powerhouses, those mitochondria that the baby inherits, they only inherit from mommy and they are crucial that they are there are enough of them, these mitochondria, and that they make enough energy so that while the baby is dividing in the very beginning there, it can maintain the normal amount of chromosomes. So in fact, you can even have a baby that starts out with normal chromosomes. It's a euploid embryo and it can flip-flop to an aneuploid embryo, which has abnormal chromosomes in it and is often non-compatible with life. So that's something to consider here. A quality is a huge component of this. Sperm quality can be a big component of this. Um, Sperm, I always say, don't bring a lot to the table. They bring DNA and and they bring baggage. And if they bring too much baggage, that can be sometimes too much for the egg, and then ultimately the embryo to manage. So that's an important part. And then we come back around to that environment in the uterus. What's going on in there? Um, first of all, is the mom, if is the mom's body able to recognize the embryo? Does it know? Okay, hey. This embryo is part mom's DNA, but part foreign crazy man DNA that we think is, looks like an invader. It has to be able to recognize that. That baby is like a transplant. It's like a transplant in kidney. So the mom's body has to be able to recognize that. But then the key here is it has to shift to tolerance where it says, I understand that this embryo, this baby, is only half of my DNA. It looks foreign to me, but I am not only going to tolerate it, I'm going to accept it and support it. And that needs to happen. You have to have the ability for the embryo to implant and then establish and the placenta to establish. And all these are very, very intricately related with hormone communication, um, energy resources, inflammation, and the immune system. Um, I, I will not ever stop talking about the immune system when it comes to reproduction, when it comes to creating a tiny human, because it is the cornerstone of it. It can impact egg quality. It can actually harm sperm, the immune system. It can then impact the ability for an embryo to develop, to implant, and to thrive. So I just wanted to put a few seeds out there And say that there could be multiple things happening here. I do believe in this case. And again, I am not knowing the whole situation here. I'm only seeing what I'm... Um, looking at here, and again, I this is not considered medical advice, uh, but it it appears that progesterone is something that should be considered, and it should be considered following ovulation. Um, It's not going to jack up your cycles. It's not going to mess with tracking or anything like that. If anything, it would make things more regular. Um, The other thing to consider is not just Uh, supplementing that progesterone, but asking why might it be low? What's happening? And then ask the question, is there something that could be preventing progesterone from doing what it needs to do? Meaning I could take enough of it. My blood work could look great. Everything could look beautiful, but it still is not able to do the job that it needs to do. So there's definitely the progesterone component there, what could be causing the shorter luteal phase, um, all those different things. But then to step outside of the progesterone box and think about what else could be happening here. I have no doubt that for the majority of women who are having issues trying to conceive, there are components of egg quality and the environment in the body, specifically the immune system, inflammation, and hormone imbalances, things like that. So I just wanted to kind of plant a few of those seeds, see, hopefully, add some new insights to this conversation. I, I actually think that the women who con- commented on this post had some really great things to say. And then one of the women ended her post and I thought it, I just loved it because I could see hear her being so feisty. Um, she said, I absolutely hate that these docs make women go through multiple miscarriages before pre- prescribing progesterone when there's no harm in doing so. And good for her for stepping up and saying, I am not going to tolerate this. I'm not going to just sit here and be your guinea pig while you like go on and see all your other patients. And I got to have three miscarriages. I have to lose three human lives before you take me seriously. No, that doesn't need to happen. It just does not need to happen. So I love seeing the spunkiness there. And, um, hopefully I've, I've maybe added a few other insights for the original person who posted this and the amazing women who commented below. Hopefully this was helpful to you. And if you were the person who posted this, I hope that it was helpful to you as well. I am always keeping an eye out in Reddit. If you have questions, you can post them in there. Or you can email me at talia at talialavore.com. You can check out my website, talialavore.com. I have many, many resources there. And um, in the next few weeks, that is going to be expanding greatly, talking all about endometriosis, PCOS, immune infertility, egg quality, sperm quality, and an teaching you how to figure out what the heck is going on and what's really behind um, your difficulty conceiving or your miscarriages. Um, And as always, if you have questions, if you um, would like more insight from me, again, talia at talialavore.com. And I will see you in the next episode. Have a fabulous day. And I'm always thinking about you, praying for you, and I'm your biggest cheerleader. Talk to you soon.